Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. I came back from a night of DJing and uh, the door to my apartment was open and uh, it was empty. And somebody had broken in. There was a locked building on the third floor. And uh, somehow got into the building and emptied out my entire place with the all the equipment that I had, my DJ equipment, um, my first four track that I bought when I was thirteen, um, just everything except for my bed and you know <laughs> and my clothes were was gone. And uh, that was probably the lowest lowest point um, because I felt like things were starting to finally like work themselves out and coming together, and I was feeling really positive about the future and um, and kind of like was immediately brought back to like square one uh and that it was i didn't really know i was just at at a loss for like what to do i just kind of stood there for a while and then um called my dad and uh he was really supportive and and tried to keep me optimistic um and he he um he traveled down to nashville like the next day and um gave me a small loan to get some equipment um to get back up and running and was like you know sorry it makes me a little (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> emotional um Doors. and uh and came down and um helped me um get stuff set back up <clears throat> and uh you know without that i probably would have moved home and just been like there's you know this isn't it you know isn't gonna happen for me I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. 
Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Sean, welcome to The Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Thanks for having me. I'm excited for our conversation. Yeah, it is my pleasure to have you here. So I found out about your work by way of somebody on your team who wrote in and told me uh, a bit about what you do. And, you know, I am very much always drawn to musicians as somebody who was a band geek in high school. Uh, I think that there's just something incredibly admirable about people who work in the music industry, given the challenges of and all that. But before we get into all of that, uh, I want to start by asking you, what did your parents do for work? And how did that end up shaping the choices that you've made throughout your life and your career? Uh, my parents both worked in the automotive industry. I grew up in Detroit, um, and they were had mu- multiple jobs over the years, but mainly in sales of um, uh, four different um, uh, automotive companies. And their their the product or the parts that they used to build vehicles was mm-hmm. mainly like the specialty. That what impact did that end up having on you and, and sort of the choices that you've made? Uh, early on, they taught me a lot about business. Uh, my first lesson was I was maybe six years old and I wanted a swing set in the backyard. And my mom said, well, the neighborhood's having a garage sale next weekend. Uh, how about you go out and, uh, set up a little lemonade stand and, uh, whatever money you make from that, um, you can put it towards a, a swing set and your dad will take you out to, you know, check out some options and, um, whatever you can afford from what you make, you know? Um, we'll get it now. I, there's no way that I made enough money selling five cent glasses of lemonade to uh, afford a swing set. Um, but they sh- showed me that principle really early on. And it was a lesson that that really stuck with me um, yeah. about setting goals and uh, and then taking action to work towards the things that uh, um, that you want to achieve. Uh, as I got a little yeah. bit older um, and I started getting into music and um, wanted a guitar and, and, uh, and then I got into being interested in DJing and wanted to get some turntables. Um, my uh, parents suggested that um that i uh make some flyers they helped me with this and um and pass them around the neighborhood and and try to get um some gigs cutting grass and they uh so i so i I, uh my mom helped me make this little flyer thing and we they drove me around the neighborhood and dropped it off a bunch of places um got a handful of calls and um and then um they at that summer um i was able to save up enough money to afford to get a couple turntables and a and a mixer and um, started my, um, pursuit of, uh, learning the art of DJing. Yeah. So, you know, so many questions come from that alone. So you grew up in Detroit, um, you know, I'm not sure, you know, what era that was in, but you know, when we see Detroit on the news today, or when we see Detroit in the media, you know, we see it sort of as this, uh, almost, you know, urban wasteland of sorts. And I know that that perception isn't entirely accurate. Uh, what do you think people misunderstand about what we see? And what do you think the impact on your own life has been of growing up in an environment like Detroit? Um, well, I grew up um, outside of the city um, in, a, in a suburb um, in like a middle class, you know, area. And um, but uh, in the in the surround, you know, in the surrounding area, I was um, opened up to, you know, a lot of diversity, a lot of different levels of life experience. And uh, and I went to school um, in Detroit. and. Um, 
met, have learned stories and, and, you know, upbringings of a lot of different types of people. Um, and there's also a, just a, a really great music community there, um, especially in like the hip hop and, and rock scene. And um, I think I think being gr- growing up around an, an area like that um, introduced me to a lot of different types of paths that people take through their life and journeys and experiences and stuff that um, have definitely led me to, I guess, be able to to hang with a pretty diverse range of folks. So, you know, your parents, it seems like they encourage your creativity. You know, did they say that, you know, this is a potential career path or they like most typical parents were like, ah, you know, this is a great hobby, but, you know, the potential of making a career out of this is far more challenging because, I mean, you know, the reality, as you know, as somebody who's made a career in music is that, you know, the likelihood that you're going to achieve commercial success, uh, not even breakout success, you know, just commercial success enough to be able to make a living is not high. No, it's not. It's a uh, 0.3%. <laughs> wow. It's really that low, huh? Uh, from a study that I read. Yeah. Wow. So I mean, what did your, what advice did your parents give you about this? Did they, did they encourage it? Did they, you know, were they basically like, Hey, you know, this is great as a hobby or were they supportive of it? I started my serious interest in music around middle school. And around that time, they were very supportive of my creative, you know, endeavors, you know, having that hobby and um, exploring music. And my dad is a huge music fan. Um, and my mom was just very su- supportive of, um, my cr- creative things and what I wanted to spend my time on. Um, other than music, um, sports was the only other thing that I was super passionate about. Um, and I was really active in a number of different, um, sports and athletics. Uh, and so early on, it was very much supportive on the creative. Now, when I was in high school, and started to decide like this is the career that I want and I'm not really interested in going to a four-year university and getting a degree um, because I don't need a degree to have a career in my industry and with the job that I'm you know that I'm looking for that's where conversations started to change a little bit and there was definitely some pushback initially um, and we went through a, a number of different stages but I think at a certain point they realized that this is what I was going to do and I was set on it and there was no way around it. So I, I, they, we came to, you know, to an agreement, um, that, uh, I would attend a school, um, but it would be like a trade school. So I get an associate's degree. Uh, that was cool for me because I could go to a school that was specific to learn the trade that I wanted. Um, it'd be a shorter period of time and I would be able to get into my career, um, quicker. So that was sort mm-hmm. of the, the compromise, um, that we made when I was, um, going through high school and, you know, looking at the the college process and stuff. Um, so I I would say that, um, they could, they could have been much less, you know, supportive definitely. And they were hundred percent supportive once they realized that this wasn't just a hobby for me, but it was definitely something that I thought was my purpose in life. Yeah. I mean, what, what were the biggest sources of tension? What were their biggest worries? And what would you tell parents who are listening to this about talking to their own kids about pursuing a career in the arts? Well, I think the the biggest concern is is the idea that you have to have a degree to be successful, and yeah. uh, there's this this idea that you have to go to college and um, you know and that you have to have this degree to get into a job. So, like for my parents, like their occupations all required degrees, and that was their you know path, and that's definitely evolved a lot. And I think the educational system will continue to evolve over the coming years, uh, and and so uh, I think that I mean they were they were definitely open to to supporting me once they realized that I wasn't giving up on this. And this was something that I was absolutely doing. And, um, you know, it was one way or another. So they, you know, decided to have my back. Uh, and so for parents, um, and I get this question a lot, um, cause I have students, um, in it for an audio engineering school that I, um, that I teach for, uh, and I meet a lot of young artists that are looking to pursue their, their career. And, you know, their parents are thinking, well, yeah, that's fun, but you know, you really need a degree and you need a backup plan. I have a pretty aggressive opinion on this that I don't necessarily think is a fit for everyone. But if you absolutely believe that your purpose is to make a living through following your passion of any sort of art, I don't believe in the um, value of having any sort of backup plan. I think it gives you a, a way out to step back when you get hit with adversity and go back to, you know, to have something else to, to fall back on. Uh, mm-hmm. For me, there was, and that's basically the, my opinion is based on my experience. I was sure. uh, very hard headed and set on the fact that I was going to find a way to be successful and find my version of success in this industry. 
And um, there was never another like option. If there was a part-time gig that I got, that was just to supplement my ability to pay my rent and put food in my stomach until I could afford, until I had the ability to be able to do that just through um, production. Uh, it makes me think of a quote from the author, Danny Shapiro, who has been a guest here. Um, it, you know, she has this beautiful book called Still Writing. And, and she says, you know, like many of us, we don't necessarily choose this life. It chooses us. Because there's really no other. And she even said, she's like, the only reason to become a writer is because you can't imagine doing anything else. Exactly. And that's what's really important. So I think that that's the conversation that parents need to have, you know, with their kids and, and, and a challenging thing for a kid to discover. You know, I was very fortunate to be able to find this passion really young and I just felt called to do it. But if there's any hesitation, you know, and you're not willing to make incredible sacrifices uh, for the possibility of success, um, then it then the, the the idea of removing the backup plan for your option may not be the right you know approach and and my conversation might be different with you know with someone like that and maybe there's a a more secure side of the industry that someone might want to pursue um instead of the artist or you know producer you know route but it's yeah. definitely important i think to make sure that if the if the parent is having a conversation or the the child is having a conversation with their parents that you really do that soul searching and and use those experiences to determine whether or not this is something that you can't live without doing. Yeah. I mean, I remember having a conversation with my dad when I got to the USC school of music and he talked me out of going and he, he painted a, a very realistic picture. He said, look, he's like, I'll support whatever you want to do. But he said, I'm going to paint the reality of this for you. He said, you're looking at 18 units a semester if you want to get out of there in four years. And he said, you know, this is a performance musician. You're going to spend your whole college career in a practice room if you're serious about this. And he's like, you know, you have to ask yourself, do you really want to do that? And I remember the summer before I had gone to the Idlewild School of Music and the Arts for a two-week program. And I came back and I quit the high school band because I hated it so much. Like, I, and keep in mind, I was, you know, an all-state, you know, tuba player, really dedicated, committed. And I remember the day I showed up, you know, because seniors got to miss the first two days of band camp. And my band director told me, he said, I saw you standing there. I knew exactly why you were here because you're going to quit marching band. And I did. And the funny thing is, even after that, I still applied. But when he painted that reality for me, I, I realized you made a good point about saying, okay, are you willing to make the sacrifice that is required for not even the guarantee, but the possibility of this thing? Right. And that was, you know, one of those moments. And I've never regretted that because I've talked to a friend who sat next to me in all state band who did pursue it and he's had a tough life. Um, so that kind of makes me wonder, like when you got out of this, I don't imagine it was a straight line to getting to work with the types of people that you have, uh, what were the sacrifices and what is the sort of lowest point you remember having in all of this? Well, yeah, it was definitely a, a challenging road. So if we like fast forward a little bit to getting out of school and, and uh, getting out of high school and, and going to college, I went to a school in Minneapolis and I spent, as you described in, you know, in the practice room, but for me, it was in a studio, um, hundred percent of my time, uh, outside of class, I was in the studios. I was really fortunate that the school that I went to had their studios available to students 24 hours um, as long as there wasn't class in session. So I just booked out the rooms and I would literally stay there for two or three days at a time uh, with the change of clothes. And I found the shower in one of the buildings um, that I could clean up at and then show up to class in the morning. Um, and it was, um, it was incredible. Like I, I loved every moment of it and there, it, it didn't at that. And so when we talk about like sacrifice and, and chasing this, um, this passion that you have, I never considered any of that sacrifice. I really only use that word because our society describes it as that. But for me, it was just pursuing what I love. So I was there and, and many times just by myself, um, mixing stuff, plugging things into different equipment, turning knobs, figuring out how things and why things sound the way that they do, uh, going around town and, and trying to find musicians that would let me put a microphone in front of them and experiment on them. And, uh, and, but I, I didn't look at it as like, I have to do this in order to, I wanted to do it. It was just what I decided to spend my time on. Okay. Uh, and so, uh, so through that, I, I really enjoyed that, that process. But then once you get, once you get out of school, um, it, they didn't really prepare you for what the industry looks like. Um, when you, when you get out, especially in the recording industry, um, the, the, at the time that I graduated, you know, music industry is in a really tough spot. It was in 2006. Um, recording studios or commercial recording studios are struggling to, to keep their doors open. Uh, everything's really shifting a ton in this industry. And the idea of like walking into a studio and getting a job is like unheard of. But they didn't tell you that when you're in school. You know, they tell you, get this degree, get these certifications, and then 
you know, you go and, and do an internship and you work your way up. And uh, so I, I ended up moving to Nashville because I had, I had found what it looked like a job opportunity in a major studio here in town. And when I got here, that opportunity fell through and I had already interviewed at every single studio in town. And uh, I was in a challenging position because my school didn't offer an internship program. So if you're thinking about pursuing education in a trade school and that it's really important to make sure that that school has an internship program and is connected with studios. Uh, because I wasn't legally able to take an unpaid internship in the state of Tennessee um, without having college credit for it. So that put me in a pretty challenging spot to, for the internship side of things. The job side of things was impossible because even though I had experience and, and ability, I didn't have any connections and there weren't any jobs. So uh, it uh, it was the gr- greatest thing, though, that happened because um, it, it uh, allowed me to discover my passion for working for myself and having the freedom to be able to choose the projects that I work on and uh, paint my own path for success uh, as opposed to being put into a system that you kind of have to wait your, you know, your turn for. Uh, but with that um, definitely came uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of challenges yeah. um, along, along the way. So, you know, it was just, it was figuring it out from the ground up without really like without having that apprenticeship experience that I had always looked forward to as a young kid reading about the stories of legendary producers that got their got a gig you know sweeping the floor at Abbey Road and then one day the assistant doesn't show up and they get to set up for the session and then they get to engineer a session and then they're producing you know Pink Floyd that's I guess that's a Alan Parsons story um and uh and so like that was sort of what I had expected it to look like and it did not look like that at all. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this, you're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then. 
right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Yeah. Yeah, there's so many, you know, interesting themes in your story, one of which seems to be self-reliance and sort of self-motivation. Why is it that you think, you know, in moments like the one that you experienced, you know, post-college where the internship falls through, a job falls through, some people will basically, you know, let that define them and other people let that inform them. You took a step forward, you saw a system and you said, you know what, I'm not going to basically play by the rules of this system. why is it you think some people recognize that they can break a system or redesign it for their own purpose and other people don't? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, and I'm not sure. Um, maybe um, neuroscientists or, or genetic scientists would have a good idea around that. I wonder if it's something that is like wired you know, in us, because when I talk about these experiences that I had and I look back on it, I, I struggle to use it as like I had to you know, struggle to survive or to, even though I was technically struggling, um, I, I, I look back at it just with, um, you know, just this focused intention of trying to figure out a solution and being a problem solver. And I feel like some of that is probably wired, you know, within us in some way. I would say that the support of my parents was also, um, definitely a, a, a very essential aspect for that. Um, because once I got to this point, they were a hundred percent in support and they knew that I wasn't giving up. And so, in positions where, you know, I would be talking to my mom or dad and, and just by myself in Nashville, didn't know anybody moved here for a job that, you know, that fell through. I'm sitting in this little apartment and trying to figure out how am I going to turn this passion that I have into a career? Um, you know, they, they gave me the advice of staying patient and being persistent, um, just looking for opportunities and using the things that I learned as a young kid having a landscaping business, you know, and, and, uh, and just how to go out and hit the streets and meet people and uh, just keep at it consistently until the little pieces start to fall together and just understand that it, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a journey. Um, but I, mm. I think that there's probably something to be said just for like that, like just fire that is intensely burning in someone that finds a passion that they just, that they really love and they decide that they're going to commit to it and go after it. Like once I made that decision for myself, it was, it was just, you know, full speed ahead. Um, but it definitely mm. wasn't like pretty by any means. Uh, about six months after I moved to Nashville, uh, I was, I had started to pick up some clients, um, very low key kind of stuff where artists would come in and do a guitar vocal demo in my little apartment studio on music row. And, um, I would, uh, I started, uh, tapping into the underground hip hop scene in Nashville a bit. And that was keeping me pretty busy because there were a bunch of artists that needed, uh, were looking for like a, a very experienced, you know, engineer that could help them, but didn't necessarily have uh, the budget to go into a larger studio or couldn't find a larger studio that really catered to hip hop artists. So I found this niche that I tapped into and, um, and was staying pretty busy with that. And, uh, and was still, still at a part-time gig as a DJ at a club in downtown Nashville. That was kind of how I survived for the first couple of years. Um, but about, I would say it was, it was about six months after I moved, I came back from a night of DJing and, uh, the door to my apartment was open and uh, it was empty. And somebody had broken in. It was a locked building on the third floor and uh, somehow got into the building and emptied out my entire place with the all the equipment that I had, my DJ equipment, um, my first four track that I bought when I was 13, um, just everything except for my bed and, you know, <laughs> and my clothes were was gone. And uh, that was probably the lowest, lowest point um, because I felt like things were starting to finally like work themselves out and coming together. And I was feeling really positive about the future and, um, and kind of like was immediately brought back to like square one. Uh, and that it was, I didn't really know. I was just at at a loss for like what to do. I just kind of stood there for a while and then, um, called my dad and, uh, he was really supportive and, and tried to keep me optimistic. Um, and he, he, um, he traveled down to Nashville like the next day and, um, gave me a small loan to get some equipment, um, to get back up and running and was like, you know, <clears throat> sorry, it makes me a little <laughs> <Don't worry. laughs> emotional. Um, 
and uh and came down and um helped me um get stuff set back up <clears throat> and uh you know without that i probably would have moved home and just been like there's you know this isn't it you know isn't gonna happen for me um so i uh that that was probably the you know the most challenging spot and uh with the support of my parents and just having that um vision that like you can pull through this stuff and keep making it happen and uh, i remember sitting out on this um little like a uh, balcony opening that was on the the building of the apartment and just uh looking down uh looking down music row and just at that moment just kind of made this agreement with myself that i was going to make it happen one way or another uh and i think that a bit of that like tenacity probably came from playing sports when i was younger um you mm-hmm. know you learn a lot like the the team mentality but also like the idea of pushing your body and your mind to like the brink of breaking down and yeah. um i think that that definitely like seasoned me for being able to push through you know that type of stuff and you know and just just keep it going yeah yeah, so uh, there are a number of things here that um, really strike me. So you, know, you have mentioned over and over that you had this sort of hell or high water, this is going to happen attitude. And, you know, recently I had a, a guest named uh, Rachel Friedman here who has this beautiful book about adults who, you know, pursued creative careers only to not make it in the end. I mean, the you know, as you pointed out, that 0.03% statistic or 0.3% uh is is not exactly you know the odds are not in your favor uh-huh. and there is a point at which you kind of have to look at it and say okay this is like a sisyphean effort like how much am i going to spend the rest of my life doing things i mean and that was really kind of the interesting thing about her book is that there were people who had the same level of conviction that you did who eventually came to the realization that wow i am suffering for the sake of this thing i call my passion and you know i am suffering to the point where I'm X number of years old and there's just no, like, I can't continue this. It's not going to happen because I think we love the, the sort of hero story of, you know, people who struggle to make it like, Hey, you know, Morgan Freeman doesn't get his big break for 50 years, Mm -hmm. but that's not realistic for most people. That's an interesting perspective with complete humility. I don't necessarily agree a hundred percent because I think it is based on perspective of what success is yeah and um and so when i say that like 0.3 percent that was a study done on artists that are um like uh top tier artists so like top 10 percent artists you know uh but that that doesn't mean that you can't have success in a different uh way and the and the important thing is to figure out what that fulfillment is for you and i was really fortunate to discover this like fairly early on i think within probably like the first two years of living in Nashville and just kind of hustling and starting to figure out how this industry works. Um, and I think I was reading a lot of business books to just kind of learn more about like how to, how to brand yourself, how to network, how to make, how to um, sell, you know, and, and, and just kind of uh, manage a business. Cause at this point I'm working for myself and the idea of working for someone else didn't really seem like it was going to be a possibility. So I was really focused on that education. Um, and I came across, I, I think something in, in line of just, you a, a mission statement, you know, and, and, and sort of like a purpose statement and the importance of like understanding your why and, you know, that, that philosophy or, around what, what, uh, what drives you. And so I did this exercise where I, I looked into like what, uh, really fulfilled me through the process of creating music. And I discovered that the thing that I was most passionate about was the experience of helping an artist take this idea that they have in their head and turn it into a tangible medium that can be shared with endless amounts of people. And I read this quote by a philosopher named William James um, that says the best use of life is to use it for something that outlasts it. And that really hit home with me because it gave me this like larger purpose beyond getting a song on the radio, winning a Grammy, having recognition, working with, you know, your top tier artists, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, I knew that every project that I did would have the ability to be able to outlast myself if I put if I raised the um, standard at which I worked and um, worked to serve the artist's vision in the strongest way. And so, through all of that discovery, I came up with this statement that described my philosophy as a producer. And so, my philosophy is to help artists achieve their artistic vision and create art that will outlast us. And I've used that not only as like a clever, you know, mission statement or motto for our company, but I personally use it on a daily basis 
whenever I'm faced with adversity, uh, whenever I want to just kind of close out a mix and like, you know, it's good enough uh, if I'm having a challenging session with an artist or if I'm facing my own personal dilemma with my own um, standard for the things that I want to achieve. And maybe those things aren't happening quick enough. And so I focus back on that, that purpose. So finding that for myself has helped me maintain that understanding of what success means in my career path and in my life and has allowed me to not really suffer through through that to the point where I would ever consider doing something else. Mm, And I love that. Maybe that's specific to me, but I believe that if you're decide that you are, if if you're describing someone who is, uh, relentlessly driven and passionate about it. But then at some point in their life, they decide this just, this isn't going to, you know, happen anymore. That's, I think that's more of a decision based on the perspective of what you consider success to be. And then just the idea that it's not, you know, working out. But of course, if someone decides that they're not being fulfilled anymore through that, then obviously like pursue something else and spend your life doing something that excites you hundred percent. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's absolutely true for writers as well. You know, like Ryan Holiday wrote this brilliant book called Perennial Seller, where he talks a lot about this, you know, creating art that's timeless. And he said, you know, often the things that, you know, have these huge impacts on popular culture don't become that way until years later. Um, you know, he used examples of like Shawshank Redemption, which barely registered at the box office and now is one of the most successful movies of all time, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, this makes me wonder, you slightly predate the whole era of social media in which we have this sort of obsession with uh, metrics over mastery. Um, So, you know, having seen that play out in the industry, what have you seen that, you know, you see as, because I I see this with aspiring writers, aspiring creators of any kind, they're like obsessed about sort of getting attention, um, but not with the actual work itself. And I think that comes at the cost of their work. You know, don't get me wrong, like these things matter. But, you know, I remember talking to somebody who had a publisher tell them, oh, I don't care what your book is about only if you have 100,000 followers. It's like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. So like, um, how does that play out in the industry now? Like what has been the negative? I mean, there's the positive, of course, of the fact that we can reach anybody with our work with no gatekeepers. But I also think that it creates this sort of paradox. Yeah, definitely. I, th- I mean, it, it can be challenging. What what I have found more often, at least with developing artists, is that they're more passionate about the creation and less passionate about the attention and the marketing. Mm-hmm. So they'll they'll come in and and want me to be a part of helping them develop a project, and they have this they have the the songs or the the ideas and the vision for what they want to create, but they haven't even considered their marketing plan or how people are going to actually listen to it. And as much as I understand what what you're saying. I I think that we have to evolve with the industry and understand how music is discovered. uh, And it's important to find a balance between those things. So I've actually experienced more on the, on like the opposite, you know, end end of that. Um, But that, but if someone is on the other side where they're spending more time on, you know, trying to become an influencer, you know, than, um, than trying to create art that is influential, then I think that the focus should be, um, finding balance, you know, within that and understanding that there is some, there's definitely value in mastering that, that side of, uh, engagement and exposure to your music, but your music still has to be, you know, be focused on and and come from an authentic uh, place to be able to have a sustaining, you know, career. I I love that distinction uh, between, you know, influencers versus creating art that's influential. Like that just gave me an idea for a blog post. Uh Um, you know, the, other thing that I, I wonder about, there are two things. So you started an early age. What sort of things did you learn about habits, discipline, um, practice that, you know, have carried you going forward? Like, because this is something that it took me a long time to get as a writer. It was just like, okay, you write every day, whether you're in the spotlight, whether you're writing books, basically you make it a habit. So I wonder what kinds of things did you pick up about discipline and habits? Because you started early. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, the first thing that comes to mind when, uh, when you mentioned habits is my, is my mom. And, uh, she, whenever, when I was, when I was young, um, whenever I would, uh, do something wrong and be like that, I would be, you know, punished for, um, I would have to not do that thing for 21 days in order to lose whatever restriction that was put on me. So if it was like, you know, you can't play video games or something, or, uh, watch TV for, you know, a certain amount of time. Uh, and, and, uh, it may have been a a little of a, uh, extreme thing, but it definitely like taught me that 
I guess the, the power of, you know, of habits. And if you, that we definitely can like evolve the way that, um, we take action. Um, if we, if we have a, um, a focus on it and we know that, uh, by changing it, that we can change the, uh, reward that, that we get, which is a big part of the habit cycle is having the, um, the attraction, you know, to something and then the habit and then the reward that we get from it. Um, and there's a book called the power of habit that is really great mm-hmm. at ex- explaining that. And, um, and, uh, so I think that that, that experience definitely helped like with discipline, um, playing sports was, uh, was absolutely like a huge part of building discipline, uh, and a mind over body sort of thing. And just training myself from a really young age to be able to push through things, even when you don't want to do it, looking at like the, the, the value of, of what it is. And, it also gave me perspective, I think, on like the importance of putting others before yourself. So like when you're on a team, for example, you want to train hard to make yourself a better player, but you're, you're also training hard to make sure that you can be a good member of your team. And I think that that translates into being a good member of your community or a good partner, in my case, to the artists that I'm uh, that I'm working with. Mm-hmm. So I would say a lot of the foundational sort of stuff, you know, came from that. Um, but then yeah. as I got older, I don't know that when I think back on it, that I was super focused on like that as a process, it was just really just driven by this inspiration that I, that I had that was more of an internal thing that was just within me. So you, you brought up sort of defining success for yourself, uh, several times throughout our conversation. And, you know, this is one of those things that I think is really interesting in the world that we live in, because it's really easy to compare yourself to, you know, everybody you see online. Uh, why do you think it is that we're so quick to let other people determine our definition of success? And how do you break that cycle as somebody who's done it? Like what enabled you to do that and how do other people do it? That is a constant journey for me because I'm human and I have, <laughs> I have gigantic goals and I want to have a lasting impact that on this world that outlasts myself, like I mentioned. So that's something that I continue to struggle with. And um, shouldn't say struggle with, I guess just like work through and evolve, evolve with, um, because I'm aware of it when it, you know, when it happens. Um, but there, I think in some cases it can be good to, to raise your standard. So if there's something that I could be doing better that I see someone else, you know, doing better then I'm going to work harder at becoming better at that. So I can raise myself to that standard. I focus on surrounding myself with people that also hold themselves to a higher standard and not spending time or attention on people that don't. Uh, which helps me stay in that mindset and be lifted up to that next, you know, level that I'm, um, that I'm seeking, which I, I think is, is definitely helped, uh, helped a lot. Um, but in order, the, the process that I, I go through to bring myself back to center when I get too focused on tangible success as opposed to internal fulfillment, um, is just going, going back to the, the idea of like, uh, gratitude, how, grateful and fortunate I am to be able to spend my life doing something that I absolutely love to be able Mm to honestly say that I'd never feel like I have to get up and go to work. Um, that I, when I take a break because breaks are important and balance is important, I can't wait to get back to work. You know, there's just looking at, at, at those things. And I have a few levels of success that I haven't reached yet that I visualize on a regular basis that, um, help me, I guess they focused on like my intention and not focused on other people being there, but just more focused on my journey as opposed to the, the things that maybe my peers have achieved that maybe I haven't gotten to yet. Uh, and, and I will, I will sit and, and, uh, and, and visualize that experience. Um, I don't know how many times I've, I've, uh, recited my Grammy reception, uh, uh, reception speech, um, acceptance speech, uh, in my head before, um, or um, that before I had this experience, I um, envisioned a stadium full of people um, singing along to a song while I stood at the side of the stage and watched the artist that I produced perform it. And um, and it, it led me to these things that help keep that um, inspiration, you know, flowing. Uh, where when it's when it's lacking, I can go to these places that um, help uh, help get me get me there. Uh, but through looking at like the overall. Um, explanation of what I gave is like, is my purpose. I think that it's really important for every individual to figure that out for themselves because we can focus on that as being our driving force, um, as opposed to, um, feeling down because, you know, maybe someone else is, is, uh, you know, is, is gotten there. 
um, or judging our our journey by you know by where someone else is uh, is at. Yeah. Well, I mean, speaking of of people who win Grammys, I mean, you have worked with some of the most iconic creators around. I mean, like I, I was looking at at your website and you know working with somebody like John Legend. What is it? You know, this is something that I think is my eternal quest to the answer with this show. Like, what is it that makes somebody like a John Legend into a John Legend? Like, what is it about him that allows him to achieve at the level he does? And w- what have you learned from working up close with people like this? There's definitely something different about them that is like tangible that you can feel when you're around them. And not just because they're, you know, well known or famous and that sort of thing, but there's definitely like an, a presence that comes from those types of individuals. Uh, the first time that I worked with John Legend, I was still DJing at a at a club in Nashville as a part time gig, and I got a call from uh, this guy who was leasing a, a studio that I was helping to run. And he said, "Hey, we're doing a writing session with um, with with John Legend. Can you come in and cut a demo for us?" And I was like, "Right now?" And he's like, "Yeah, right now." And I was in, I was in the middle of the club spinning music. Um, but when that, when, when he calls, like I'm answering. Uh, so I was, I just said, yes, I didn't even think about it. And I turned around and walked out the door and on the way out, I just told the manager, I'm really sorry. If you got to fire me, you got to fire me, but I just got a call that I can't say no to. So I got to leave. Um, and, um, and went down and, uh, you know, and showed up and the really lasting, impression that I got from that that session was his ability to transform into a the performance of a song that had just been written like when I walked in they were still sitting at the piano finishing writing the song and I got in and set up the mic and um, set up the piano um, and then when it came time for him to cut vocals I remember there was a Lakers game on and they were hanging he was hanging out in the lounge just watching the game and I came over and, and, and said hey I got everything set up we got the piano um, uh, laid down um, do you want to come in and cut your vocal um, and he's like yeah sure so he you know, gets up walks in the room and from the moment that he just starts singing it sounds like it has the passion and feeling of someone that is standing in a stadium, you know, filled with 30,000 people. And he's you're just performing like he's singing to each and every one of them individually. Uh, and it, just a demo that's like that, you know, most artists or singers that don't have that level of experience or that like it factor would just approach that as just a, yeah, I'm just, you know, going to lay down this quick scratch track that's going to be replaced later, you know, not be too worried about it. Um, but there, there was just like a, a, a moment that just like occurred. Uh, and because he had a microphone in front of him was singing a song that had that connection. So I, I don't know how you create that, uh, yeah. or if it's something that is just built within someone, but I think that it can be, it can definitely be d- developed if the fire is there. So if someone learns to like harness that and have their mindset and their intention focused on Every time that I perform a song, I'm going to sing it like I'm in a stadium full of 30,000 people, or I'm going to embody the lyric of every word that I sing because I was gifted with this talent. And it doesn't matter what situation I'm in, I'm going to do my best. Uh, then I think that's something that, that someone can definitely um, learn to harness. Uh, I don't necessarily mm. think it's something that you can just build from scratch without talent or, you know, or a, a very special ability. Um, but it's something that we can become more aware of, I think, and, and improve. And I've seen it happen with uh, with artists. Um, I, I have an independent artist that I uh, that I worked with that first time he came into the studio had never been in the in a studio before. Had sent me a couple demos of some stuff, and I really liked what I what I heard and like the potential of what he was doing. But he came in and he was so nervous uh, and was just really really quiet on the mic and wasn't performing with much passion and. Um, could just tell that he was like, he was uncomfortable and had too much in his head, you know? Um, and, uh, and so at that whole session, I was just working him through getting comfortable in the studio, learning how to approach a mic, um, learn how to listen for uh, delivery and how to attack a track, you know, in the, in the right way. And, uh, after him, you know, coming in and working on some demos for a few months, um, eventually that grew into a very confident performer that now comes in like just ready to go. And, you know, and delivers and and I'm really just capturing a, you know, a moment um, when I work with him. So uh, I know from experience that it's something that can definitely grow, but there has to be that 
foundational, you know, talent and the passion and consistency of working towards it to be able to get to that point. Yeah. I, I appreciate that you brought up the talent because I think that, you know, one of my mentors says like, you know, we, we completely in sort of our whole self-help driven world tend to overlook the role that talent plays in all of this. Um, you know, and we perpetuate a message that isn't necessarily true of, Oh, anybody can do this. And I, you know, that it factor is one of those things that, um, I feel like I see this across, you know, writers, artists, it's, you know, even, you know, when Danny Shabra described writing a book, she said, you know, certain books just have this magic fairy dust that, you know, ends up having an impact on the world and it's, it's uncontrollable. Um, and you, you know, you, you think about this and, it, and you kind of wonder, you know, I, I appreciate the fact that you said that it can be developed, but there has to be that initial foundation there of something. Um, and, you know, I, I feel like often people try to build that foundation when there's nothing there. Yeah. I would say that some people do. I don't have much experience working with those ty- those types of people. I don't say that like in an egotistical way. Uh, really early yeah. on, I focused my intention on, I guess we could call it like a sacrifice of being selective with how I spent my time and, and who I worked with uh, and and just really focusing on getting to a point where I could where I could really just focus on artists that I that I saw that potential in in one you know case or or another. Um, but I think, yeah, I mean, like the American Idol, you know, generation sort of given this idea that like anybody can just go and become a, you know, a superstar sort of thing. Um, it's maybe changed perspective, you know, for some people. Um, but, you know, I've also worked on projects with with people that were not looking to pursue a um, superstar, you know, sort of career, but were just really passionate about music and wanted to have the experience of coming in and making a record and singing some songs and have been able to in some cases they were just doing it for fun and in other cases came in and and were able to have you know some moderate like you know uh success i guess in in a way through just playing like a local bar and having a you know weekly gig that they do and making some extra dough and being very fulfilled by that so i would never tell someone that if they have if they only have a little bit of talent or don't have that like it factor to not pursue uh, a creative endeavor um, but maybe just to be focused on, um, what is, uh, what, what would be like the right path for them based on their, you know, ability, which can sometimes be a challenging conversation to be completely honest with. Yeah, what you're I can imagine. Doing. But then also understanding that, you know, there's plenty of people that have, I, I mean, actually everyone has been told no a thousand times before somebody told them yes. So there's, you know, that there's, there's definitely that thing of just, of, of also, making that decision to push through those naysayers and, and, and go after, you know, something that you love and finding the balance between that is definitely a a challenge. Um, So, you know, you, uh, you know, alluded to this idea of, you know, creating things that outlast you. And this is a question I asked my friend David, who was also uh, a guest here, has worked with a lot of iconic creators like Aerosmith and Sting and, and, you know, those types of people. And this is a question I have for you. Like I, Think about bands like the Spin Doctors or you know groups like Crisscross. I don't, you know, I'm guessing you're probably familiar with this, even though you know we're definitely pretty far apart in age. Uh, why is it that U2 becomes U2 and spans four decades, and the Spin Doctors have one hit and we never hear about them again? Like, what causes that? Well, if there was a simple answer to that, then uh, I think um, whoever would have that would be a very rich person. Um, to be able to to figure that out, but I I, th- I think that it's it's just a combination of timing, um, luck, talent, uh, persistence, you know, the situation, and uh, you know all of those things in you know in very various forms. It would be a, t- a tough thing to have like a a very um you know complete answer to what yeah. to what would make that happen or not. Yeah, no, I, I wasn't expecting that. I'm just more curious about perspective. Um, what have you seen that causes people's careers to go off the rails? Like, what do they do to destroy their success? Um, in some cases, getting scared by success, which is something that sounds crazy, but I've experienced a number of times uh, where artists have had everything finally come together. And then at that moment, just sort of break down. And my only understanding would be that it was just out of like fear of okay now this all worked out now how am i going to sustain this uh and uh that's a pretty crazy thing for me to comprehend uh but i've I've experienced that happening with uh with artists and uh and 
some of which have been able to kind of reform their perspective and then and then pull through and you know come back and make things happen others of which just decided man you know this life just isn't for me uh which is totally you know respectable and have gone on to have fulfilling lives with uh you know with other things um and uh and i think just the 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 other thing would just be the industry just breaking you down like it's it's tough like it, it doesn't matter what level of success that you get to you are only as successful as the last success that you had and yeah. um and it, it it takes a certain type of will and purpose to be able to continue to push through that when that happens over and over and over again um it happens mm-hmm. to me it happens to the i've seen it happen with like some of the biggest artists that i've you know i've worked with and ex- experienced that um but the difference between those artists that have continued success and the up and coming artists that we've gotten to a point that we're that we're almost there or had their first break and then things fell through uh, is that one person didn't quit and the other person did. And it's not much more complicated than that. The more, the, the only way we can fail is by quitting. Yeah. yeah it's funny. Cause, um, Josh Ratner, the guy who was on how I met your mother. I remember him in a conversation with Sam Jones. He said, you know, a successful career in the art is rigs arts is rigged for dissatisfaction. He said, and that's why it's so important that you find something to ground you, mm-hmm. um, that doesn't depend entirely on, on your own sort of accomplishments. Definitely. I hundred percent agree with that. Yeah. Well, this has been really interesting. Uh, you know, I uh, have really enjoyed this and learned a lot from you. So I want to finish with my final question, uh, which is how we finish all of our interviews, the unmistakable creative. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? Their relentless pursuit of their purpose. I love it. Uh, simple and concise, very different than some of the answers I've heard to that question. Uh <laughs> Well, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us and share your story and your insights with our listeners. Where can people find out more about you, your work, and everything you're up to? Uh, we can check us out at the recordshopnashville.com if you're interested in learning more about um, our company and the facilities that we have. And um, we'd love to in- interact with people on social media. Instagram's probably the best place at the Record Shop Studio. Um, and uh, if anyone is looking for direction, guidance, help, support, um, they feel free to send me an email through our website. Um, it'll get to me eventually and I respond to everyone. I know how challenging it is to pursue a passion that other people tell you might not be possible or that you yourself have trouble, you know, believing in and finding that path. And I've made it a mission for myself and why I'm here chatting with you today to share my experience and, and, uh, and support people in whatever way I can to be able to have the same fulfillment that I've been able to discover in my life. So if someone is listening and they're looking for some support, um, no strings attached, send me a message and I'd be happy to do what I can to help. Awesome. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Unmistakable Creative Podcast. While you were listening, were there any moments you found fascinating, inspiring, instructive, maybe even heartwarming? Can you think of anyone, a friend or a family member who would appreciate this moment? If so, take a second and share today's episode with that one person because good ideas and messages are meant to be shared. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide, it's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. 
We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.